Thank you for joining us for a Sunday worship gathering at Journey Church in Bozeman, Montana. Today we have the privilege of hearing from guest speaker, Dr. A.J. Swoboda. Let's tune in. This morning, uh, I want to talk about the topic of hope. I'm going to invite you, if I could, to open your Bibles if you have a copy of the scriptures. I want to read from Matthew's gospel, chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I want to read a parable this morning. A parable that Jesus told as he was preparing to go to the cross. And this is the story. This is the parable that Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. And about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so he went. He went out again and about noon and about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found that still others were standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And they answered, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Friends, this is the word of God. Would you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about hope. There's a, a, a little book on my shelf um, uh, writ- written by one of, one of uh, the, mo- the most formative theologians in my own life. Um, there's a, a book on my shelf called Surprised by Hope. And the, the, the theme of this book is that um, the hope of God, the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that we find in the Bible, the hope that we find in God, should constantly be surprising us and shocking us and awakening us. And I want to talk about that this morning, the surprise of hope. When when I was in um, elementary school, I was um, between about second grade and sixth grade, a spectacularly unpopular kid. I had maybe two friends in elementary school. Um, 
One of my best friends named Blair, we were good friends from elementary school, but I didn't have many friends growing up in elementary school. My son is four years old. I haven't slept for four years. Four years. It's been a long four years. I know when he goes to elementary school, he's gonna face the same sort of stuff that I did. I mean, it's a whole new world, it's scary. And I had very few friends, and I'm an only child, which has required years of counseling to deal with. Uh, only child, elementary school, junior high was atrocious. I didn't know what at all was going on at that point in my life. But in elementary school, um, I was spectacularly unpopular. And there was a guy in my second grade and third grade and fourth grade class by the name of Darren. Darren was mean. Darren was that guy who made fun of me because I didn't know how to run very fast on the playground. I was an awkward, bouncy, clumsy kid. Darren, on more than one occasion, stole my chocolate milk. Darren was a bully. Darren scared me. Did anybody in this room, in elementary school, high school, junior high, have a bully? Okay. Was anybody in this room a bully? Raise your hand, all of you. <laughs> Every single one of us was mean to somebody at some point in those years. And so Darren, my memory of Darren was, is not positive. I have ne very negative connotations about Darren. And so I didn't see him after fourth grade. I didn't see this kid. Um until about seven years ago, I was preaching at a church, or this random community that had me come and preach. So I, I, I approached, preached on Sunday morning. After, after the service, we were gathering kind of together. Um, after the service, I was kind of down talking to people. And, and I felt this tap on my shoulder. And I turned around. And right there was Darren. And I remember sort of almost emotionally checking my pockets to make sure he hadn't taken my wallet or something. Because he's standing right there and he looks at me and he, he looks almost the exact same that he did in fourth grade. I mean, he's the almost exact same human being. He might as well just be wearing the same clothing. It just looked the same. This guy was standing there right in front of me. And I said, hey, Darren, it's good to see you. And he said, AJ, you haven't seen me for a long time. And I said, you're right. It's been like 15, 16, 17 years. It's been a long time. And I said, Tell me, so what have you been doing since I saw you in fourth grade? <laughs> and Darren tells me a story. Darren, <clears throat> when he graduated from high school, got into some trouble with the law and told me that when he was in prison, he met Jesus. My bully met Jesus. And Darren looks at me and he goes, you know, <laughs> I was a different person back then, wasn't I? And I said, you bet your sweet bippy you were different. <laughs> and I'm standing there looking at this guy. And it is a completely different human being than I knew in fourth grade. A few months ago, we were finishing our church service <clears throat> in our community, and I noticed that one of the young men in our church who I've known for almost a decade, I was his college pastor, and he's a part of our community, his name's Brian, was sitting by himself to my right. 
And after the service, I walked up to him and sat down with him, sensing that he was processing something in his own life. And he was crying. And I said, Brian, what's going on? This young, outstanding Christian young man who has been just a stalwart, phenomenal figure in our community for a long time is crying. And I said, I said, are you okay, Brian? And Brian reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a little coin and he puts it on my lap and it was his one month of sobriety coin. And he said, you never knew I was an alcoholic, but I've been clean for one month. We have a young man in our church who is gluten intolerant. Anybody in the room gluten intolerant? I feel so bad for you people. I love you and so does Jesus. But there, I just put extra gluten on all my food. Sometimes eat bowls of gluten. Love gluten. We have a young man in our church named Scott who's been gluten intolerant for the last five or six years of his life. Deathly gluten intolerant can't eat anything, fleck of gluten, and he has to go to the hospital. And this young man is a part of a a small group in our community, and the small group a few weeks ago prayed for this young man because they felt like they were supposed to pray for him to be healed of his gluten intolerance. Now, I gotta tell you, I've seen crazy things happen in church. I have seen people experience healing. I believe in God's healing power. I believe that God can heal somebody if God desires to heal somebody. I've also seen people heal. I've also seen, prayed for people and then they die in like 20 minutes. I don't know if you want me praying for you now. But I believe in healing, I've seen it, I've seen weird healings, I've seen weird things happen. This tops all of them. The community group, a few few weeks ago, puts their hands on him, lays their hands on him to be healed of gluten intolerance. (laughs) And one of the groups, people in the group said, we believe you've been healed. And Scott was like, fine, I believe it. He goes home to test it and buys a pizza. And he just eats the whole thing. And my friends, for three weeks, my friend Scott has been healed of his gluten intolerance. Now, I've seen weird healings, but that's the weirdest one. Why do I tell you all these stories? Friends, do you find, I don't know if this is your experience, but do you find sometimes that when you read the newspaper, you watch the news, you completely lose hope? You find that sometimes when you watch what's going on in our world that you go, man, where in the world is the hope in this place that God has put us? And in the context of, of what seems to be follower of Jesus, this, this is what I want to talk about this morning. In the context of great darkness, Jesus died on a Friday. He laid in a grave on a Saturday. He resurrected on Sunday. Friends, do you understand that as followers of Jesus, we place every little ounce of faith that we have in the idea that Jesus Christ came out of the grave. And if that is true, follower of Jesus, then you and I are always called to be hopeful people. If resurrection happened, then all things are possible. When we look at the news and we go, what in the world is going on around us? This is horrible. This is, the, 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 things just seem to be falling at their very core. What is going on? Follower of Jesus, 
We have no permission in the gospel to forget the hope of resurrection. And that's what this whole parable, frankly, is about. This, this whole parable is about the surprise of God's hope. It is the parable of a very generous God. This parable that we, we just read is a parable about being surprised by hope. Well, actually, the parable is about a wage dispute. But in reality, as Jesus can do it, what Je- turns out to be a wage dispute is actually all about the good news of Jesus. And I want us to look at this for a few minutes, this parable, and deal with the hope, the, the, this message of the good news that comes from this, this story. Actually, the environment of this parable is going to make a lot of sense to a lot of us, because in this particular parable, uh, it's a really cruddy environment. It's a really cruddy economy. Nobody seems to have jobs. Everyone is just waiting around at nine in the morning to be hired. There's a bunch of unemployment. But there seems to be in this parable a vineyard owner who has a lot of opportunities for work. In fact, this vineyard owner has to go out five different times and hire five different groups of people to get his work done. So there's all of these people without work and then this guy who owns a vineyard that's doing really well. And at the end of this parable, do you notice, every single person gets paid the exact same, a denarius. Which I should point out to you, in the ancient world, a denarius was far beyond minimum wage. This guy is paying people far more than they should be paid. This parable has often been titled, uh, you know, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, Kenneth Bailey, who's a New Testament theologian, says uh, that this should be called the parable of the compassionate employer. I much prefer the title, the parable of the crazy loaded employer, who apparently has crazy amounts of money to pay his employees. And that, friends, is what this is about. It is about God's generosity. God pulls this huge surprise that the vineyard owner, who turns out to be the image of God, pays everyone the same. This is a profoundly generous vineyard owner. In fact, the last line speaks to me so deeply. Are you envious because of my generosity? He's so generous. Let's talk about that. I want to talk about three things that, friends, followers of Jesus, we can hope in this morning. Three things that you and I can hope in. I want to talk about the hope of righteousness, the hope of the harvest, and the hope of the good news, the hope of the gospel. All of these should surprise us. The hope of righteousness. Let's, let's deal with this, this idea of the hope of God's righteousness. Everyone in this parable gets paid the same, a denarius. Everyone gets paid the exact same. The ones who are hired first and the ones who are hired last. uh, There are, by the way, in this particular story, two different kinds of people who are being contrasted to one another. Um, There is basically, at the end of the day, there, there are two kinds of workers. There is, on one hand, 
And many of us know this kind of worker because this is many of us. There is, first of all, the worker who gets up crazy early in the morning. In fact, the text doesn't even tell us what time he gets up, which means it was in an ungodly hour. Crazy early in the morning. Um, This is the guy who got up really early, shaved. Um, He's on LinkedIn. Sends out his things to you all the time. He drives you crazy because of his LinkedIn invites. He... um, He's prepared, he's got his degrees in order, he did his homework, he, uh, he sets his alarm, he knows how to get up, he's disciplined, he's got his, his resume in hand, it's printed out, it's perfect, it's long. This guy's prepared. Shows up early in the morning to get some work done. There's that guy. Mr. Motivated. And then there's the guy who was hired at five o'clock. It's more like me. This guy uh, hired at five, Um, not super motivated. Uh, Got up around 4.30, said, I probably should get some work done today. Um, He he has a resume, uh, but it's written in crayon. Uh, it's very poorly done, misspelled. Uh, even his address hasn't been updated. I mean, it's just, but he's, he's got one. He just kind of carries it around. And, um, he, he, um, he, he doesn't shave. You know, he's up at 4.30. He's, he doesn't sort of clean himself up that well. He, he, he shows up uh, uh, kind of undressed, uh, wrinkly clothes, 4.30. Uh, if I get, get the job, great. If I don't, what, whatever, I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I'll just show up, I guess. I mean, we've got that guy, Mr. Unmotivated. And we've got both of these people. And, and, and the, 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 the moral at the end of the story is, as we're speaking about God's generosity, the moral is that both of these people, Mr. Motivated and Mr. Unmotivated, get paid the exact thing. And can I point out to you, how long did Mr. Unmotivated work? We know because the guy who's been working all day points it out. He only worked for an hour. Why? Sun goes down at six. He got a good hour in. And he gets paid for a whole day of work. Look at their responses to the generosity of the vineyard owner. (laughs) I love this. Look at the response of the guy who was unmotivated and got paid for a whole day. Look at this. He responds with complete silence. He cannot believe it. And then there's the other guy. The guy who got up early, he got all of his stuff done, he did everything right. And he gets paid the same thing. And you can hear, friends, you can hear the anger, the virulence, the disgust that this man has for this guy over here. You can hear his language. Listen to what he says. We worked all day and you have made them equal to us. 
He's disgusted. And I got to tell you, friends, that those two responses to, to generosity are basically the two responses that I know are in this room today. You know, this is a parable I should point out. You understand that a parable probably never actually happened. When Jesus tells this story, he's not reporting on something that happened as a historical event. He's sort of creating a story that will speak a truth. One of my favorite writers, uh, Marianne Moore, who's a a poet and a parrot, she writes wonderful poetry. Uh, She talks about parables and she says this about parables. She says that a parable uh, is... Uh, at the end of the day, is an imaginary garden with very real toads in them. It's not a real story, but it's really true. It happens. It's real. This may not have happened in reality, but this sort of thing happens in real life. And here is what happens. Friends, we will either respond to God's generosity with entitlement or sheer thankfulness. Entitlement is the person who has everything together and gets paid the same thing as the the, the person over here. Entitlement is the, the attitude of, I've been on contract with you for years. God, you owe me big time. It's the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the younger son runs away. He goes away to a distant land. He takes his father's inheritance. He spends it on wild living. He parties. He sleeps around. He does what he wants to do. He comes back. Do you remember the response of the older brother? The older brother sees that the younger son has come back and he looks at him at the father, and he says, you have brought out the fatted calf. You have brought out the ring. You've given him the robe. You throw a party for him, but father, you haven't even given me a Quiznos sub. My translation. Entitlement is saying, I have been so good to you, God. You owe me. We live in that subtle way in our life all the time. We say, God, I will, we live in that sort of, sort of light. We say, God, I'll love you, I'll follow you. Jesus, I will follow you. I will give you my life to the degree, God, that I get everything that I want. I will follow you so long as I get the house with the picket fence. I will follow you as long as my kids love Jesus and go off to Bible college and don't do dumb things before they're 18. I will love you, God, as long as I have enough money. I will love you, God, as long as my church is good to me. I will love you, God, as long as all of these things. Friends, I gotta tell you, to say that sort of thing to God is to not live in covenant relationship with God. That is not a marriage. What it is is a prenuptial agreement. It is saying, God, I will love you as long as my demands are met. You cannot live in that construct in your relationship with Jesus when he's constantly telling you to pick up your cross and die. Entitlement is saying, God, you you saved me by grace, but I'm still in this because I'm awesome. Entitlement is about control. In fact, one of my my commentaries on this text just hits the nail on the head. The guy who's been working all day cannot stand the fact that the guy who just got hired at the end gets paid the 
exact same. And he goes, God, how could, he says to the vineyard owner, how could you do this? One of my commentaries says this. This hits the, just the nail on the head. It says this. The sin of the man who worked all day was that he sought to control the master's grace. Follower of Jesus, it is not your job to control God's grace. It is your job to preach it. Freely you have been given. Freely give away. In the story before this, I should point out that in the story before this, in the same section in Matthew, Jesus is talking to this rich guy. Do you remember the rich young ruler? This rich young ruler has done everything right. His life has been perfect. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want eternal life. What do I need to do? I want to enter life. What do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, have you done the commandments? And he says, yes, I've done them all. I've done everything. And the rich young man who's had a perfect life, Jesus said to him, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he runs away disappointed, so sad, and the disciples come to Jesus afterwards, and you can hear in them, they're so confused, and they look at Jesus and say, what are you saying, Jesus? We need rich people to come and follow you. We don't have any cash. You make all these rich people sad. Why? Are you saying, Jesus, that rich people cannot enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, nope, they can't. And he says, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and, but then he says, don't miss the next line. And then he says, it is harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. With man, all things, with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying this. No one can be saved on their own. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Do you hear what he's saying? He is saying it is either grace or nothing. You're, the grace of God is all that you have going for you. That is it. My question would be, could a Christian be saved? I think Jesus would say, with man, this is impossible. But with God, things, God all things are possible. You, friends, can only be saved because of Jesus, because of God's generosity. It is not our job to control the master's grace. It is our job to proclaim it. Let me put it this way. The book of life, you remember that book in the Bible that has all the names of the people that are saved? The book of life, here's the deal. You're not the publisher. And you're not the editor. And you're not the co-editor. It is self-published. I am even struck by this, that you read the parables of Jesus. This strikes me over and over and over again. Have you noticed that in the parables of Jesus, the person who doesn't get it, the enemy, the bad guy, is often the person who's done everything right. The parable of the prodigal son, the older son did nothing wrong. He'd done everything right, but he was wrong. Here's why. 
Because in the kingdom of God, friends, a God of grace will endlessly frustrate the lives of those who have based everything on merit. You have grace. In fact, in verse four, I love what the vineyard owner says. He says, you go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. Whatever is right. Imagine your boss telling you, just go to work and I'll pay you whatever I think is right. You would not be working there for long. Because none of us, well, few of us trust our bosses that much. The word that the vineyard owner uses there, I will pay you what is right, is the same word that's used in the New Testament for righteousness. I will pay you what is righteous. This is inviting us, friends, to not control God's grace, but to trust it. Can you trust? Can you trust, friends, that you will enter into God's glory and receive what is righteous to you because of who God is, because of who Jesus is. One of my favorite theologians from the 14th century, and I don't have many 14th century famous theologians, said years ago, he said, look at this world around you, friends who live in Bozeman. Look at the world around you, it's gorgeous. Look at the world around you, look how beautiful it is. This is the world God has given to his enemies. Imagine the world he will give to his friends. Can you trust his righteousness? So there's the hope of righteousness. There's the hope of the harvest. There's a part of this story that really catches me. Why in the world would this guy have to hire five different times in one day. And I should point out most of the commentaries that I have say that all of these guys are seasonal workers. They're part-time seasonal workers who work for the day. They're day workers. Why in the world would he have to hire so many times in one day? And it's really simple. He has to, it's a vineyard, folks. He has to hire five times in one day for one simple reason. It is harvest. It's a race against the clock. We've got to get the grapes picked before the day has come to the end. Can I point out to you that in the history of the church, Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, has always in the lectionary been read alongside 1 Corinthians 9, which is about running the race because Jesus is coming back. There's a reason. This text is about the fact that it's five o'clock. The day is almost over. The harvest is coming. It's five o'clock. This is a rather unpopular topic and you rarely bring in people from Portland to talk to you about this sort of stuff, but I'm gonna tell you this. Here's the deal. I'm willing to disturb you and frustrate you and maybe even get you to write a mean letter to Brian if you need to. Not me, I'm not gonna give you my email address. This is unpopular and it's uncomfortable, but friends, I gotta tell you, this parable and the message in the New Testament is so stinking clear. Jesus Christ is coming back. It is five o'clock.
And that's important for a lot of us because some of us need to come to Jesus. The day is almost done. It is five o'clock. And friends, when the day is done, do you know how the Bible describes Jesus' return? He'll come like a thief in the night. The Bible is so in, in, insistent on us understanding his return that God is willing to describe Jesus' return as Jesus being a felon. He's a thief in the night. He's gonna, he's gonna rob, he's gonna come when you don't expect it. It's gonna surprise you. I'll tell you what, folks. I don't wanna scare you. I don't. I do want to disturb you. I don't want to scare you. Maybe I do want to scare you. It is five o'clock. Come to Jesus. The day is almost done. It's almost been done for 2,000 years. Yes, I agree. But it's like super close to being done right now. It is five. The day is almost done. Come to Jesus. Love him. Be forgiven. It is not too late. I, I love the guy. I love the guy who at 4.30 decides he's going to get to work. Why in the world would you even go to work at 4.30? I love that he gets to work. He is celebrated in this passage because he gets to work even though it's the end of the day. We're gonna talk about this tonight in the creation care talk that I'm gonna give. I actually believe as followers of Jesus, it is our role to care for creation that God loves. God created this world and he loves it. Friends, horrible things are happening to God's creation, but I believe as followers of Jesus, we are called to love and steward God's creation. God never said we could stop caring for the garden. We're called to it. Even though things look bad, we are called to enter in hopefully and help. Martin Luther years ago said this, if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. It's 4.30. It's 5. That's why we get off our butts and serve Jesus. Amen? And finally, it's the hope of righteousness. It's the hope of the harvest. Finally, friends, it's the hope of the gospel. It's the hope of the good news. It's the surprise of the gospel. Did you see the gospel in this story? Did you see the gospel in this story? The good news, did you see it in this story? I, yeah, I keep my sermons. I don't, Bob, do you keep your sermons? Do you hold on to them? I keep them. You know why? I like reading my old sermons. And I'm gonna, for, I'm gonna affirm for you right now, I preached some horrible sermons 10 years ago. <laughs> horrible sermons that I would never preach again. I keep, these are my sermon notes. I'm gonna keep these 10 years down the road. I'm gonna read them again. I read my sermons from 10 years ago when I preached this passage. Last time I preached this was 10 years ago. I was reading this, the passage. I was reading what I said 10 years ago. And I assure you, friends, that no matter what is said from this pulpit or any pulpit that you go to, you go home and you make sure that what is said at this pulpit is said in here. Make sure. Years ago when I preached this passage, this is how I preached it. I said, you know that part about the guy who woke up, who, who, got to, who came to the vineyard owner late and, and he, became, uh, he started to fall? And I said, that guy, and then the guy who started early. And I said, I, said, I said, the best way to interpret this 10 years ago, I said, the best way to interpret this is, do you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? <laughs> and ever, you know, 10 years ago, people remember because it was much closer to, do you remember Jeffrey Dahmer though? Do you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer murdered, what, like 32? I mean, 
one of the worst serial murderers in American history, killed something like 32 young men in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A horrible story. I mean, the, the, the story of this young man, uh, destruction is just horrific. And the, but the truth is, did you know that at the end of his life, Jeffrey Dahmer actually gave his life to Jesus? And that upset a lot, upsets a lot of people. And when I first preached this 10 years ago, I said, I said you know what's crazy about Jeffrey Dahmer is this, is that Jeffrey Dahmer can come to Jesus at the end of his life and experience the same reward that you and I do. And I think that there's some truth to that. I think that there is some truth to that. But friends, I gotta tell you, I've completely rethought this because I used to think that you and I were the ones that showed up earlier and other people were the ones that showed up late. And I think that that interpretation is totally wrong. The scandal of this story is not that Jeffrey Dahmer could get what you have. The scandal of this story is that you can receive the same reward as Peter and Abraham. That is crazy. And it's the scandal of the gospel. You and I are the ones who showed up late. And we live our life, friends, merely living in the grace of God. We show up merely living in the grace of God's goodness. I want to close with the story, then we're going to take communion together today. About four years ago, um, in our community, our church community, we, we take communion every week as a church, as, as I, I believe you do at least most weeks. In our church, we, um, we actually do the loaves of bread. So people come up, rip off a piece, dip it in the juice. I think you're dippers too. I love dippers. My son is the craziest dipper. He takes his bread and he just dunks. He doesn't just take his bread. He takes like his whole hand, man. He's good. It's the most unsanitary, <laughs> weird way of taking communion. But he loves Jesus. And I think it's symbolic of his love for Jesus. <clears throat> About four years ago, we had these famous atheists, you probably heard of them, come to our church service. And these two atheists were going from church to church and they were reviewing churches and writing blog articles about churches. And they came to our church and I knew they were going to be there that night and I was scared to death because I knew they were going to probably write a horrible review about our church. Which, it's not shocking when an atheist writes a horrible review of a church. It's like somebody from PETA reviewing a steakhouse or something like that. Like, (laughs) oh, okay, shocking, right? (laughs) And they came to our church and they sat in the back and during during the worship, they, they stood there and I preached. And during communion, We all stood up to come and take communion. As a church, we believe that if you're seeking to follow Jesus, you can come and take communion. And I watched, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden I noticed that these two atheists come forward to take communion. (laughs) And I couldn't do a thing about it because we don't have bouncers at our communion table or anything. (laughs) We don't have like people like, well, let me check to make sure that you're proper in your doctrine before you, we don't do that. And they're standing there, what do I do? Run up and take the communion back, you can't do this. I couldn't do it, they're standing there taking communion. And they come back, they sit down, we sit and have a talk after the service, and then they leave. And I didn't sleep for like a week. Because I knew, I knew that they were going to write a review, and I knew it was going to be horrible. And a week later, the review came out. And these two atheists describe how for the first time, they describe coming to the altar. And they describe how when they came to the altar, and this, these are the exact words of the woman, she said, 
I came and I took the elements of the God that I don't even believe in. And for the first moment in my life, I sensed God. You know who was super mad at me? All the pastors in my city. (laughs) How could you let atheists take communion? And my response to them was as simple as it could be. Friends, the table of God's grace is so full of grace. Who are you and I to check the guest list? Come, friends, it's five. Dine with Jesus. Dine with him. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw your church and draw all people to the grace of God. Forgive us for our sins. Turn our hearts, God, to the living God. Turn our hearts from idols. Turn our hearts from false gods and turn our hearts to you, God. Forgive us for our sins. We pray that uh, God's kingdom would come in Bozeman as it is in heaven. Pray, God, that you would um, draw all people to yourself in Jesus and we would taste and experience the grace of God. Be with us all, God. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.